It's Friday the 12th of February. Welcome to our Afternoon Sport Deep Dive. I'm Tim Gilbert. I'm joined by Shane Lee. Now, Shane, this morning, drama at your place. There was a blackout. What did you do? Did you have candles up? We had candles up, mate, and I'm, uh, unfortunately, I've got a yellow yellow shorts on and a red shirt, mate. I'm dressed in the dark, mate. Look terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Got a huge show today. Wally Masseur is going to join us real soon to break down all the tennis. Also today, a real special treat. ESPN host of the Super Bowl, Phil Murphy. will cross to him in New England, and Johnny Steph's on board too. Let's go. <laughs> Well, last night, Alex Demonar, he's a, he's a young player with so much ability. The number one ranked player in Australia in the men's, and it was a good win, Shane. It was a really, really good win. He's a really good guy to watch play. He, um, you know he's giving it his all. He's fast around the court, and um, yeah, excellent to watch. Yeah, all right. Well, uh, we could talk about it all day, but someone who knows a bit more about it is joining us on the line. He's the director of Pro Tennis for Tennis Australia, made semi-finals at both the US Open and the Australian Open. Wally Masur, what a night it was. How are you, Wal? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Look, it's actually been uh, the Australian Open. It's a different year, obviously, and uh, Monday and Tuesday, it was pretty eerie just sort of walking through the grounds, very little crowds at Melbourne Park, which is so unusual given just how packed it normally is, and uh, but the last couple of days, it's kind of the Aussies that have lit the Australian Open on fire. Nick Kyrgios, and then yesterday, Thanasi Kokonakis, been some pretty good tennis. Mate, let's start with Nick Kyrgios. Um, uh, interesting five-setter the other night. He, he looked quite tired towards the end, and um, coming off the back of a five-setter, he's got a big match against the team, hasn't he? Yeah, I never quite know with Nick because uh, you know his body language. You know his body language can change dramatically throughout the course of a match, and you know, I, I agree with you. At times, he looks like he's a bit weary, but um, there was nothing weary about his tennis. From he, he basically faced two match points deep in the fourth set, and he hit three winners at that point in a row to turn that game around quickly. Break, and then he just went on this incredible run where the game really seemed to slow down for him and he just had so many options and he hit winners from pretty much everywhere on the court. I mean, I, I haven't seen him play quite that well for a long, long time. There doesn't seem to be someone in the game, to be honest, and we've been saying this for a few years, who does have that sort of untapped natural talent that he has. Yeah, so it's it's basically just power from everywhere, but then you combine it with tactical nous, uh, plenty of control, plenty of variety, um, and, you know, the, the sort of hands that go with someone who's about five foot eleven, you know, he's six foot six, and he's got these crazy hands to come up with, you know, soft touch around the net and drop shots and various things on top of it. But yeah, I agree with you. Um, th- there's nobody quite like him in the game, that's for sure. Do you think he actually sometimes is is now putting on those um, blow-ups with the with the umpire or or just to really put the opposition off? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. He, <laughs> I, I feel like he had a legitimate. Um, did you see that? Because he was complaining about the uh, – because it's all mm. electronic line calling now. There are no lines on the court. It's really good uh, and it's really immediate. But the net cord is still an electric uh, electronic sensor that mm. goes off and the umpire gets a little light to say it was a let. And I personally think Nick was right. I think it was calibrated too finely. I think it was picking up vibrations, not actual contact. Because um, he served a couple of balls there. There, there was no way – yeah, was nets, and neither player was hearing them. So, look, he, he certainly argues his case pretty strongly, and he doesn't mind a bit of theatre. But um, I think the other night, I think he actually had a case. 
Oh, I think he did too. It's sometimes the manner in which he conducts himself in those conversations, which he can be criticised for. But look, none of us are perfect. It's the heat of battle. And look, if he keeps going the way he's going, he, he's every chance against Dominic Team. But let's have a look at last night. While Alex Demonor, um, he, he looked methodical. It was a really good win. First time he'd come up against this guy. Yes. Yeah, so... This is hardcore. You know, I, I believe the US Open and the Australian Open uh, are two probably Demon's best chance at a major to go deep because he's he's super quick. Like he's like he's lightning in a bottle. And the faster the court, you know, the better your feet, the better off you are. So I actually think this is not a bad surface for Demon because everybody's talking about it's a quicker Australian Open this year. It's playing more like a US Open in that respect. And he. He doesn't like to generate his pace as much as he likes to absorb pace and redirect it. So, yeah, I'm looking for a big week from him. And Ash Barty, she had a uh, she, she had a, a decent win over um, over uh, Dasha. So she she looks pretty good. Yeah, she, well, this, this is the thing about Nick and Ash. You know, a lot of people said to me, "How are they going to go after a year of virtually no tennis?" Because they both put the rackets down in March. And they were the two best players in the world that didn't travel um, mm. or play the majors. Roger Federer was out through injury, but they opted, you know, because of COVID, not to play. Um, they both picked up where they left off, haven't they? And I think, I think Ash was in control. I think it was six one five two. She was kind of cruising, and I think sometimes when you play a compatriot or a peer, someone that she knows really well, Fed Cup teammate, there's always another element to the match, and you know, she just yeah. couldn't quite put Dash away. And, and Dash is a fighter, we know that, but. Yeah, Ash looks pretty good to me. Yeah, Rafa was brilliant last night too. And the the only problem last night was that idiot in the crowd, really. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, well, there's always a few of those, isn't there? Um, mm. We've got some we've got some foreign commentators over here. And I did a match with an English commentator and TFO was playing Djokovic. And there was about five boys, you know, Aussie boys. They, were just, uh, they might have even been school kids. I don't know how old they were. But they had TFO on their back, the TFO boys. And they were just mm. giving it to Novak and... Uh, I said to Mark Petchy, my commentator from England, I said, "Is this? Do you, do you get this around the world? I mean, does anybody sledge as much as the Australian crowd?" And he goes, "No, it must come from the cricket." So, Shane, <laughs> I, I blame I blame you and the cricketers, but it was yeah, it's been pretty loud, you know, because it's not a packed house. You, but you get these individual uh, people just just going for it. Wally, what are, what are your, your early call leading into um, to uh, week two? Uh, your thoughts? Who's going to be there at the end? Do you think in both the, the men's and the women's? Well, I guess it's always um, you, you, in the men. I always default to to Novak and, and Rafa because they've done it so often. But I think it's yep. a different year, obviously, with a preparation. I thought Novak looked a bit brittle the other day. He didn't enjoy the heat and he didn't enjoy the pace of the court. I think it's a service court, and I know this sounds crazy, but if Nick if Nick could stay healthy and not have too much of a workload, and we talked about his match with Team. Mm. A, a player like Nick can win the Australian Open. You know, a big server like Berrettini could win the Australian Open. Uh, look, the Russians are in pretty good form. Uh, you know, you've mm. got outsiders like Rublev and Medvedev. Uh, I think it's a little bit open this year. I, I think the court is, you know, the court and ball combination is going to play its part. Um, I, I think we're going to have a different winner. So um, I think we're going to get a, a roughie. I really do. I think a roughie could okay. come from the outside. And on the on the women's side, I think the same is true. You know, if someone like a Pliskova or someone who just plays big, if they get hot for a while, um, they could be awfully dangerous. You know, Serena is always there. I think Ash has a great chance this year. But I guess, too, you know, the thing you have to consider with Serena, every time she gets close to a final or looks like breaking that, uh, you know, that all-time Grand Slam record, 
she tends to freeze up a little bit. So it'd be mm-hmm. interesting to see her frame of mind as we get deep in the second week. Look, we, we don't like giving up on people, but but in your role as head of pro tennis, uh, what do you do with a guy like Bernard Tomic? Uh, he's sledging of John Fitzgerald. Uh, like He's almost like a, you know, sledging part of the Australian emblem. Yeah, gee, oh, well, Bernie bit, didn't he? Because obviously there was a comment from Fitzy that, uh, you know, Bernie won't be here next year and then Bernie just bit in the press conference. But I... Yeah, it was. I don't. I couldn't get my head around what happened there because basically Bernie did not get a wild card into the Australian Open. He flew to Doha, which was problematic. It wasn't easy. There was all um, sorts of hurdles that everybody had to clear to get there. And then he did two weeks of quarantine when he got back. So he, he qualified. You know, he really committed to the qualifying. And then he, he I don't know whether he, he has had a bit of a knee injury. Just put him in. A, a bad frame for the Australian Open and the leading event. But, uh, look, it was kind of a shame because he's a guy with all the talent in the world um, and we're thinking this is an opportunity here in Australia to resurrect himself, but, yeah, it didn't really fire a shot. Yeah, he, he actually said that uh, for the first time the other day. He said if he probably focused a little bit more in his 20s, he, he could have done a lot better. And um, I think we all know he's probably, he's probably regretting it now. Yeah, he was he was, he was dreadful on court the other day. Yeah, no, look, and, and obviously Shapovalov is a great player. I don't know if you guys saw that first round where yeah, he played Yannick Sinner, but he, yeah, he's a player of the future and um, very, very dangerous. But I think, you know, and, and that's probably what Fitzy was alluding to in the, you know, during the match. It was like, well, yeah, this guy's good, but you, you're going to have to lift and you're going to have to fight. And that fight was probably only there at stages of the second set. You know, Bernie was almost resigned to his fate. It's funny, I was lucky enough to go and watch Wimbledon a few years ago and that Shapovalov was coming through with Demonor in the juniors and uh, it's funny to see him both up there playing the big matches now. Yeah, that's right. They did. They, they played the Wimbledon junior final, yep. didn't they? And, yeah, um, they did. And Alex, it's funny, you know, because Alex, I'm not saying he's scarred from that match, but he's got a lot of respect for Shapovalov. And uh, yeah. they actually they actually played at the Davis Cup finals in Madrid and... Um, you know, I remember this is uh, his win was this twenty nineteen, and I remember Leighton telling me you know, that he, he really had to try to convince Demon, no Demon, you've got this guy, you've got the game to beat this guy. Demon really sort of held him in high esteem based on that mm. Wimbledon Junior match. Yeah, well, let's hope that COVID can stay at bay and, and we get through the Australian Open. Craig Tyler, yourself, all involved, have done an amazing job to get this show on the road. And uh, I tell you what, from a couch potato perspective, we're absolutely loving it. Hey, guys, yeah, no, look, I, I haven't worked too hard, but I can tell you that so many people have put so many hours into getting this event up off the ground. And, of course, everybody's unbelievably mindful and a lot of the TA staff are Melbourne people everything that the Melbourne people and the Victorian people have gone through. So, yeah, fingers crossed that everyone stays safe. Have a great day, Wal. Thanks, guys. Coming up on Afternoon Sport, a real treat for us. We head to the United States. The snow is falling in New England. It wasn't at Tampa when he was down there. Phil Murphy from ESPN is with us next. As a professional sports person, I knew the value of a good coach. And being a business owner is no different. With the Business Coach from Growth Workshop, you can build the business you've always dreamed of, a valuable business that runs by itself. If you need to take control of your future with a winning strategy, Growth Workshop specializes in improving your cash flow, developing sales and marketing strategies to drive revenue, and getting those ideas out of your head into an action plan. Growth Workshop will help you develop a business plan and achieve your financial goals with regular guidance from our experienced team. Whether you want to drive revenue with a new marketing strategy or put the right team and systems in place, we'll help you free up from the day-to-day and allow you to grow your business. We can help. Get in touch with Growth Workshop Business Coaching at growthworkshop.com.au to book in for your no-obligation strategy session.
Growth Workshop, turning your good idea and hard work into a valuable asset. Oh, what a week it was, of course, in American sport. All eyes on the Super Bowl. Tom Brady, the old bull, absolutely all over the young bull, Patrick Mahomes. The anticipation was huge. And it's a real treat for us on Afternoon Sport to have ESPN host Phil Murphy live from New England. How are you, Phil? <laughs> I'm going well. How are you all? Phil, it was a really uh, a promoter's dream, wasn't it, the, uh, the matchup with the quarterbacks? Yeah, you couldn't ask for more. Um, and in a year in which the NFL had such difficulty from a week-to-week basis just getting the product on the field, and their grand finale, you can't ask for more than Tom Brady, the most prolific, accomplished quarterback in the history of the sport, going up against the guy who we all think is likeliest to usurp that CV once he gets to the to the twilight of his career, but very much still in the early stages in Patrick Mahomes. Uh, that's what we talked about all week. It was an undeniable plot for the game. But once the game kicked off, that focus shifted. Brady was great and he was efficient, but the story was Tampa's defensive line putting Patrick Mahomes under such duress that he didn't have the ability to showcase his skills. And that's why ultimately the game wasn't just won by Tampa, but was won in pretty lopsided, convincing fashion. And it was Brady inspired in so many ways, wasn't it? He comes to Tampa Bay and all these guys, and obviously he brought one with him, but all these others just zeroed in behind this superstar. And all these stories of being 50 to 1 in September to come back under the banner of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and win the Super Bowl. They were doing it for Tom in so many ways. Yeah, and you look at Brady's number for the season. He was quite impressive. 40 touchdowns, 12 picks, 4,600 yards. In fact, he's the first quarterback in NFL history in the regular and postseason combined to eclipse 50 touchdown passes and win a Super Bowl. It had never been done before. Mm-hmm. So he is still very much a, a contributor to this team. But what's even greater than his on-field contribution is his ability to galvanize men. This is a team, and they, they did add a couple pieces, Rob Gronkowski, who had two touchdowns, but wasn't really an impact player for Tampa during the season. Tampa is by and large the same team that went seven and nine a year ago. What did they have that was different? They had Tom Brady under center and they had a, a new sense of belief and somebody who, who has done this so many times over that he had the ability to inspire. And his teammate said all week, Brady was texting them right on about 11 o'clock local time at night saying, we will win this game again and again and again, just instilling that, that confidence that he would lead them to victory came out, had a tremendous first half, and then it was just ride the defense for the final two quarters. Amazing. What was the atmosphere like um, in the stadium with only 25% capacity compared to um, previous Super Bowls? Well, in the hours prior, it was absolutely dormant. I was so concerned because all Super Bowl week, the city had zero buzz about it. In fact, it was just such a, a stark reminder of the COVID reality in which the United States still very much resides. But something happened about half hour before kickoff. Now, fans were let in this, into the stadium later than they were in, in previous Super Bowls to try and just minimize the amount of time that people were were gathering. But fans were, were spaced out well. And it was about 30 minutes before kickoff, there started to be this palpable, tangible buzz about mm-hmm. the stadium. Only 25,000 people ultimately got there, but it did have a, a feel of other Super Bowls, both the stage And the fact that it was a hometown game. This is the first time that a team had ever played a Super Bowl on its home field. And the NFL was a little bit fortunate in that because 
even though in the latter stages the game was decided it was a little bit lopsided, there were still a lot of fans in the house, a lot of people barracking who barracked for the Bucks year round, who were very, very excited at this result. So from start to finish, it did have a lot of energy that has been missing in American sport for the last 12 months. Phil, there's such a great affinity between our two countries. It's it's lovely to hear your voice and have you on our program. Hopefully we'll do it again sometime. Uh, when people talk to me about sports broadcasting and how I tumbled into it, you sort of say to yourself a bit like, I found this, I don't think I've worked a day in my life, and I'm sure having observed what you have done and uh, doing, you're doing a fantastic job, that yeah, your craft is a joy. So thanks so much for coming on Afternoon Sport. That means a lot to hear. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Phil. Take care. Coming up on Afternoon Sport, UFC really hots up this weekend and Lewis Hamilton has only signed a one-year contract. John Stephenson with all the lowdown. John O'Brien is a legend of Australia's beer industry. In 2003, he dreamed of producing a great-tasting beer that could be enjoyed by everyone, free from the ill effects of mass-produced wheat and barley. John began a brewing journey blending unique aromas and flavours offered by ancient grains such as sorghum and millet. He perfected recipes over time which have led to 40 local and international awards, including three gold medals at the Australian International Beer Awards, a gold medal at the Indies and a silver medal at the Beer World Cup. Proudly 100% Aussie-owned, made in Ballarat, O'Brien Beer is Australia's most awarded gluten-free beer and widely available around Australia through major retailers and online at rebellionbrewing.com.au. O'Brien Beer, the beer that loves your back. Afternoon sport, great to have your company. And uh, look, we look forward to this time every, well, twice a week, don't we, Shano? It's fantastic. Mate, we do. We've got Johnny Stephenson on the line. Johnny, how are you, mate? Now, big fight UFC this weekend, I hear. Hey, guys, great to hear your voices again on this fine Wednesday. Uh, yes, UFC this weekend. Um, I'm really excited about this fight. Uh, it's very different to the Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor fight. And I say this because there was a different storyline. It was the Conor McGregor circus. This is a pure UFC fight for the purists that love the game of mixed martial arts. It's Kamaru Usman versus Gilbert Burns. Formerly, they were both teammates. Kamaru is the current champion in the welterweight division, left his training group to go train with Tim Whitman, who they're saying is last year's coach of the year. And Gilbert Burns has come on leaps and bounds. I mean, his knockout of Damian Maia was crazy. Um, he's completely dominated everybody up until this point. And um, they're building this as a, does Kamaru have the mental edge on Gilbert because they were training partners? Gilbert was kind of the younger guy when they were in the group. I'm looking at it a bit different. I think Gilbert's got his measure. I think that mystique of Kamaru mm. being such a beast is going to be a, is, is not going to be there for Gilbert. I reckon he's a bit too fast. I think he swarms Kamaru early. I think he catches Kamaru, wobbles him a bit, and then is able to take him down and sort of dominate and control the fight. Now, people listening will be thinking, John, Kamara's an absolute animal. He's a beast. You know, there's no way in the world. He, he very famously beat Kobe Covington, who everybody was hoping to beat, who was, who was Donald Trump's right-hand man in the UFC, or, well, Kobe claims Donald Trump's his best mate. And and we've seen how dominant Kamara's been. But I, this is a fight for the purest. I reckon he, my money, my smart money will be on Gilbert Burns, and I, I think it, it, it could potentially be a stoppage. Yeah, and um, I've been watching the, uh, the Australian Open, um, Nick Curious was in a real fight of his own on Wednesday night. Um, we went to five sets and a lot of games from shit there. Um, you obviously see that in UFC and boxing, but he really sort of uh, puts on a display of um, he's upset at one stage, then he's angry, he smashes his racket. 
do, do you like that or how, how do you feel about that? Well, I, I, I pose this question to you guys. I mean, is he the new John McEnroe 2.0? Is this how the new younger athlete behaves to, in order for them to perform? I'm not saying behaves as in whether it's right or wrong or whether it's sportsmanlike or not. I'm saying, are we going to see more of this? Should we be accepting of this is the question which I want to pose both to you and Tim Shane, because mm. it's easy, very easy. For, everyone knows my feelings. On I, I was a bit of a firebrand as an athlete. I think it's entertainment. I love to have fun. I love to go out there. I think sport is entertainment. We're not curing cancer when we're out there. We're literally going out there and expressing ourselves and our happiness, and that's what sports should be about. Um, but it's very funny to watch Nicky said in an article. He said, when I'm playing, I get into a headspace, and you know I'm bound to say anything when I'm I'm, a, I'm almost effectively saying, look, I'm a little bit messed up in the head when I'm on the court, but that's me. That's how I get my job done. So – should we accept it? Look, I think, mate, if he was a horse, you'd put blinkers on him, wouldn't you? And um, you'd say, don't ever look at the, at the scoreboard. And uh, he's biggest opponents himself. <laughs> or your player's box. <laughs> yeah, well, get out of my player's box, yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you what, the umpire, and like, uh, she looked a little bit intimidated at times when he was going on about the, the net court because they're, they're transparently honest, aren't they? Sorry, Tim, mm. but some of the things he's saying, he's, he's right. He's just, he just says it in a very un-Roger Federer-like way. Or, or, mm. the, or you know, your your poised sort of players that will actually go up to the umpire, have a very diplomatic conversation and maybe use their, like you said, their persona or, or essence that they have on the court to persuade the umpire to do what they want. You know, uh, Nick's sort of just that brash, like, no, this is shit, you know, uh, Fix his mm. net up, man. It's not right. It's the second time it's yeah. happened, which I think part of me thinks it's refreshing. But I think as he matures, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, he, he, he still stays who he is, but this puts yeah. a little bit of polish in what he does. Yeah, and look, he's not the first to do it. You mentioned McEnroe, Ilya Stasi and others. Jimmy Connors didn't cover himself in glory at times either. But but, but look, there there is rudeness there, which gets into that whole conversation about having children watching but don't 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 worry my 11 year old was captivated a couple of nights ago when he went out there and fought his way back after everyone thought he was gone so look he's got an amazing talent let's see what happens next uh look let's look at eddie Maguire. look you've you've become friends with eddie over the years john um, john, um <laughs> you have uh, you really look, throw that term around loosely don't you too I mean. well you are you you talk you talk to him and um do you feel for him no, I do. I, 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 look, I shouldn't say that. Uh, Eddie it was involved in Athletics Australia, was a board member, and, and that's how I got to know Eddie. And I know over time we've had a very cordial and you know up and down relationship, but we've had a pretty mutual relationship. We sort of knew where we, each other stand. And, and, and as much as I don't agree with everything Eddie does, and I do feel the wolves are out for him, I do feel that you know over time – you know, he's been a big dog in the game. And, and I think sometimes he's wielded his sword and I think a few heads have, have, have fallen underneath him. And I think now people have, have sniffed blood and, and they're having a go. Have you, uh, John, sorry to interrupt. Sorry to interrupt. Have you seen, like, you know, like you're, you're native South African. Have you seen any racism in him personally? No. And I say that, I say that, I, I think, I think inherently it was acceptable back in the day. And I think for some of the older generation, um, we see as colloquialism and it's okay to sort of um, say certain things. And that's why I don't, I personally don't take offense. I educate and say, look, that was cool back then, but now it kind of is, this is the detriment it has. We're talking about Nick Kyrgios and what he's doing on the court, you know, as adults for our kids growing up, 
this can affect their whole self-belief and how they look at themselves in the mirror. So when you are a person of ethnicity, your color, and that's why it's important to talk about racism. Should it consume your day-to-day life? I don't think it should. I think you should learn to love and understand one another and learn each other's cultures. So, but as far as Eddie, me spending time, I, I, I can't see that. I don't see that. Do I think he's made mistakes because it was what he knew? And it was acceptable because he was a big dog on campus. He pretty much ran a lot of things. Could he get away with it at the time? Because, you know, no one pulled him up. Where now today's day and age, you get pulled up for that stuff. Um, yes, do I think that happened? Maybe. Um, but as far as Eddie one-on-one, how he's treated me, he's always been nothing but respectful for who I am as a person, as a man. And, um, and, I, and I respect him the same way back. And I think that's a key, John. I think, you know, you treat people how they treat you and, um, you know, if you, if you have personally have an issue with it, then it's fine. But um, obviously, some people are more sensitive, so that's it. But yeah, my take on Eddie is has been a, a fantastic um, ambassador of the sport, not only the AFL but every other sport in Melbourne. So um, you know, he's made some mistakes, but we should all move on now. Yeah, I think so. Uh, look, I think it's really important, and I think Eddie will be the first to say, "Let's have this discussion mm-hmm. about where I am wrong." And I and I really hope he does. You know, moving forward, because he has done a hell of a lot. For the for for Melbournians, that, that you cannot deny, he's done a hell of a lot, especially in the sporting spectrum. Um, and he loves his he loves his sport. You see, he gets behind all of it. But we all make mistakes, and we also all have to take our bag when we are wrong. And I think, unfortunately, at the moment, some skeletons are, are coming back to haunt him. Yeah, look, John, I, I, I hate to change the subject so wildly, but I do know that you are about to go and. Um, get some leg waxing and do your earlobes as well so uh, in your manscaping <laughs> feet so we better wrap it up but I, I did want to ask you about Lewis Hamilton and he's only signed a one year deal with Merck I don't want to water the story down Tim and we will get back to my to my, my upkeep you know because I think that's really important for our listeners to how important it is to look after remember I keep telling our listeners if you look good you feel good if you feel good you what Tim you're good. Now, now he's waxing. Now he's waxing lyrically. <laughs> but no, no. Let me let me get a little serious here with Lewis Hamilton. Now, I, I I always water this down every time we talk about Lewis because I honestly feel like there's a bit of games going on. Um, I think the ten month deal, forty million pounds. I reckon they got to a sticking point on how his exit sort of clause will look like with Mercedes. I think Lewis is very, very smart here. Don't forget, guys. There's a there's a complete car change after the season. Lewis is not stupid. He's a winner. I mm. think he's keeping his, his, his cards open. Uh, I think he wants to do the season. He'll win in this car this season. That's smart money as well if you want to put money on anything. And mm-hmm. I think that he's going to wait because when this new car comes out, he's going to pick his best option. Now, every Formula One driver wants to drive for Ferrari. We know how bad Ferrari's gone over the last year especially. We know they're going to struggle this year as well because they're putting all their eggs into the 2022 car. So I, I, I think Lewis is all about Lewis at the moment. Like he's a mm-hmm. very flamboyant cat and he'll be patiently waiting to see what happens after this year to make his move to, to cement his legacy. Hey, how good would it be to see Lewis if he wins his eighth championship, jump into the Ferrari and win a ninth where, where we very famously saw Michael Schumacher win seven. Wouldn't that be a hell of a story? So you're so what you're so what you're saying to us, and I use this word famously the other day or infamously, um, the whole idea of him retiring from Formula One is bull to dust. Yeah, yeah. John Stephenson, uh, the pleasure has all been mine and Shane's, really. I've really enjoyed this today, guys. I just want to say that I've, I've there's not many times that I get off this, and I think you know what, I've had a great day. I've had a great day today. Good on you, mate. Stay smooth. Yeah, bite a bit of rubber when they <laughs> when they wax your legs. You're you know not real tough. See you, John. See you, mate. Yeah, boys. 
That's it for Afternoon Sport. We'll be with you Monday to Friday every week. Hit subscribe on your podcast app so you don't miss it. A big thank you today to Phil Murphy from ESPN, to John Stephenson, and, of course, the wonderful Wally Masur. And we've got great sponsors, Shane. We do. www.spartansportshq.com. And Dan McHugh, our producer, of course, he's a new dad. He hasn't had much sleep the past few days, but boy, oh, boy, he gets through it. See you Monday. See you then, guys.